a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. It's Friday, it's four o'clock, it's short fuse. I would like to say this show starts on a very sad note. Can we have a ooh? Yeah. I had to get rid of my Audi, the green goddess. Yeah, you see, Alex, yeah, it's true. So I bought this Audi a few years ago, and my girlfriend midlife always crisis. shut up. It's not midlife crisis, and my girlfriend always hated it. It was great, Alex. You liked it, didn't yeah, you? Heartbroken. I know I'm heartbroken. Trouble is, it sort of seized up, and then the bloke in the shop down the road said it'll cost you about three grand to fix it, and I went, uh, uh. and so I made a real heart. It's like putting down your favourite little puppy. It's like that. I took it to the place and I said, take it. I got 400 little pounds for it, 400 pounds. That's all I got. And it's gone. And I know that someone's watching, Mr. Corcoran, who you share my, my pain right now at this moment, as does Alex. And that's it. So I would say to all people who have old cars, keep them close to your heart. You never know one day when they're gone. So anyway, on that somber note, let's get on with the show. Right, uh, hello to podcasters, podcasters. Uh, Robert tells me that we're getting more than one person listening. Is that right, Rob? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So there you go. Th- three people listening. Okay. Uh, if you're listening on podcast, hello. You can be doing lots of interesting things while you're listening to this. So I'm wearing a weird check shirt and then Johnny will be on and he'll wear something really revolting. So just make sure that you, you know, if you do get a chance to li- watch it, you'll be able to see the extent of what Johnny's wearing, which I think will be quite disgusting today. Isn't that fair? Robe of dead skin. We won't go into that. (laughs) Right. The top story this week is a very interesting story and quite a complicated one. So when is fracking being banned not a ban? Uh, If you remember back in October, we published this story about uh, the Scottish government saying that fracking would be banned. They'd made a vote and they're going to stop it in Scotland. Well, that's pretty simple. We thought that was the case. But then today, what's happened is INEOS have been challenging that decision and they found out something very interesting. So they heard from the lawyers representing the Scottish government who basically said there is no ban in place. Yeah, get that again. There's no actual ban in place. What was decided was not actually binding at that present time. So what we have is the Ops Director of uh, INEOS has said that they've found that... uh, there's not been an actual fracking ban and there may never be one and that this is basically a misdirection of what's been given by uh, the Scottish Parliament and they've called it sort of Alice in Wonderland kind of uh, theory of what, what's going on. Their basic point is what you've done is you've made a decision amongst parliamentarians about banning it. You've told everyone that there won't be fracking and yet you don't have that actual legal power and your lawyers have actually said that's the case. So what's happening now is in response, the Scottish Government have said that they have a preferred position, which is not to support the development of unconventional oil and gas, i.e. shale. And this has been made clear, as su- but it's subject to strategic environmental assessment. It ends with, it remains inappropriate to comment further during the judicial review process. What does all that garbage actually mean? Well, it, what's, what I can think it means is, There's been a decision made, which has been perhaps an emotional decision or a decision that's based on what the the politic is of the the people in the the Scottish Parliament. 
but they haven't actually looked at whether the Scottish Parliament has the right to adjudicate over that. So now that's gone for a review. And it's actually not about the decision uh, based on kind of, you, we don't want this. It's about justifying it on environmental assessment grounds. So you could have the fact that you've got a hiatus that's gone on since, well, actually, the, the decision last, last October it was floated more than a year and a bit ago that stopped people looking at shale in Scotland. But in fact, they could have done it because there's no actual ban. So I repeat that there is no actual ban legally against fracking in Scotland. That doesn't mean it happened, but it means that the provisions for people investing in it have not happened because they've been told you can't do it. So this is really going to be a big case. So depending on how this comes out and what's ruled, uh, Ineos could start, um, Quadrilla could start, there'll be several shell companies. But also if you look at where Scotland is, you know, a lot of Scotland's infrastructure and its energy resources based on two things. One is obviously the renewable side of things, but the second is the huge oil and gas industry in Aberdeen. Now, if you suddenly say that oil and gas is reducing and reducing in the North Sea, as we all well know, but you have the capability to try and keep that industry alive using shale uh, gas, well then, if you haven't had the investment, you're suddenly tailing off, you can see where this means. The industry, uh, the infrastructure of the industry could, could suffer when actually there could be another use for it. So that is a story to watch and we will be following that very, very closely. The next story is also about something interesting about uh, new, newish technologies. This is about heat networks. So uh, I don't know if you know what a heat network is, but basically it's a way of getting power uh, in a local area. And what it normally is, instead of having a supplier coming in giving you your gas or whatever, you have a source of heat. That source of heat is often something like uh, a big sort of, uh, it can be an energy plant of some kind or some sort of boiler system and then the hot water is transferred around uh, a bunch of buildings. There may be CHP plants, etc. We've done loads of stories on sort of uh, estates or complexes that have these heat networks. So you basically say, uh, I'm getting my hot water and my heating from the same source. It's basically hot, some sort of hot liquid. Um, I'm not getting my... Um, a gas down that way, but I could have my gas supplied through the heat network because the heat network could work and put, put other stuff out there. Now, the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, had a look into this because they were worried about the regulation of a heat network. In general, they found that a customer who's on a normal gas and electricity supply from a normal supplier or any of the, the big six or any of the small suppliers, that they and most customers on heat networks are roughly paying the same for their energy. But they did find that some customers, particularly those in private uh, sort of estates where the heat network is all sort of concealed and centralised and so you have no, no option but to, to get your heating from there. And some people in certain rented properties are paying far more than they should. It's a big problem because if you look around, there's, there's 14,000 networks in the UK and the government wants more and there's more investment in this stuff. So what the CMA has said is they want to look into this closer. They're worried about monopolies. So if you live on an estate where there's a heat network, you haven't got any other choice of where to get your energy and you're tied to what, they're going to pay, what you're going to be paying. They're also worried about the transparency that some of these kind of um, networks operate and how they give you your pricing, how it's all worked out, and they want uh, tighter regulation. 
So this is quite a good story for uh, consumers because if you look at where we're going and we're going to have more and more people becoming, uh, whether it's off-grid or doing their own stuff, and there's more and more increase in these heat networks, you want to be sure that if you are moving into, say, a new build complex and you only get one choice, you know, the government's all about choice, choose your supplier switch. Well, you can't switch if you're getting your heat from a heat network where there's only one source and there's, it's, it's part of you know, what you're paying for your rent. So you need to make sure that those people who are in those sort of places get a fair deal. So the CMA report will uh, follow that again quite closely because I think that is very interesting. And finally in this section are the California. California! You know them, they love it, the Yanks. They love in California being green and they're going so far as to do this. They are going to say that in 2020, from the 1st of January 2020, every new building has to have solar panels fitted. So whether that's a house or a block of flats, uh, it can be a retail accommodation, whatever it is, from 2020, January the 1st, in the state of California, you've got to stick a solar panel in it. And what they'll say is that <clears throat> that will add on average 30 pounds to your monthly mortgage if you've got a house. That seems a bit steep, you could say, but <clears throat> excuse me, the report that's put this forward in the, 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 uh, the state government says on average you'd save about 60 quid. So I reckon this is really, really good. I'd love this to happen somewhere like London. Now obviously in California a lot of sunshine, people say oh we don't have sunshine. Remember solar panels don't work on the amount of sunlight. They work on the amount of daylight. So you don't have to have sun, you need to have daylight. Obviously they work better when there's more sun, so they're more efficient, but they can work. And if you said to most people, actually, we will stick a bunch of solar panels on your street and you all have to pay a little bit extra in your mortgage, but you've saved some of your energy bills. I don't think that's a bad thing. And it's a bold, bold play, but California is always been very free thinking uh, when it comes to environmental issues even when the uh, governator Arnie was there as well so uh, I think this is um, something that may catch on in the other states uh, in America and perhaps uh, elsewhere. Uh, more stories later with oh god Jonathan but now this week's viewpoint. Now, we've been talking about, I suppose, electric cars for quite a while. What's really interesting this week is a story about the thing that I've always noticed about EVs, sound. Okay, you get in an EV and you start it off. And when you get in, the, the first thing you find is, oh my God, it's so silent. Now, that sounds weird. It sounds great. You start driving, and you, but you're not used to it. Your senses are so used to the sound of a combustion engine. It's, it's odd. And what uh, the EU has said is that from next year, EVs from July next year will have to have some white noise. Uh, what does that mean? They need to have some sort of noise so that you know as a pedestrian that these things are coming. And it sort of uh, comes on the back of things like, you know, the lorries uh, that have been beeping for years. We know when lorries reverse, they, they beep. And the idea is that you create this alert system for pedestrians. If we're going to have the end of diesel and petrol cars in 2040, I think it is, in this country, uh, if you're going to have uh, a massive influx of new technologies making these cars, the EVs, more and more efficient, 
The one thing that we as human beings can't adjust too easily is the noise differential. And when you don't have sound, you can't spot it. You know, your sensory, you'll hear, you hear things so often way before you see them. So we, we, we've got to do something about that. So what does this mean and how will this come about? Well, um, a little earlier, I spoke to a man who was the man behind those beeping lorries. You see them all the time. They reverse and they beep and sometimes they talk to you. Uh, it's a gentleman called Christopher Hansen Abbott from uh, Brigade Electronics. Uh, I asked him how it all came about, first of all, the, the idea of these beeping lorries, which has been seen as kind of the precursor to why this white noise uh, is a good thing to do, and also what he thinks about the idea of putting sound into electric cars. Uh, Chris, uh, delighted that you could join us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, just going back to the whole idea of beeping lorries, and we're, we're right in an alleyway where lorries keep, they don't just beep, they talk to us now, they say, sorry, this vehicle is reversing. You're the man who sort of saw that technology in the beginning, didn't you, in, in, in Japan, if that's right, and then you brought it back here. Can you give us a little bit of the history of how it sort of all came about? Well, I was in the shipping industry at the time uh, as, as a, sh a city shipbroker. And one wandering down a Tokyo street uh, one day, because uh, most of our business was uh, associated with Japan, um, I heard uh, backing up slowly towards me uh, on a Tokyo street, a strange beeping sound. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is a wonderful idea. <laughs> uh, never heard it before. And uh, so, I went on a hunt for the manufacturer, uh, found him with a small family business in the mountains of the north of Japan. Uh, he was making uh, ignition parts for Japanese cars. Okay. Uh, and uh, but then he'd had uh, had a brain a brainwave, and uh, decided to try out a beeper to warn people behind a vehicle that it was reversing. Uh, trucks in particular, but of course it's an enormous blind area behind a vehicle and people were getting uh, run over regularly uh, by, by reversing trucks. And uh, so I found him, as I say, and uh, said to him, I think this is a wonderful idea, Mr. Yamaguchi. Uh, I'd like to be your distributor for, for Europe. <laughs> Hang on a second. You were nothing to do with the automotive trade. You were in shipping, but you absolutely liked this idea nothing. so much. I had absolutely nothing, but I was so overwhelmed by this idea. And it was indeed a prototype which he was testing on, 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 on a small truck. And um, I, I heard it. And, uh, well, to cut a long story short, uh, I uh, joined the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders uh, back in, um, in London. Yep. I uh, quit the shipping industry, which I'd been in for 22 years, to set up my own uh, outfit to peddle a product which nobody had ever heard of, uh, for which there was no demand, <laughs> in an industry which I didn't know, uh, with nothing going for me except I'd seen it being tested on, on a truck in Tokyo. But I thought it was such a wonderful idea. 
I can hear the beeping in the background. I love it. It's just become part of our lives. How did you get it to become something that I remember, you know, I'm quite old. I'm, I'm nearly 50. But when I was a kid, they didn't do these things. The last sort of 10, 15, 20 years, definitely all of this. T talk us through what from seeing that, how long to fruition that you started to, to get your product out on the British streets? Uh, well, the first thing I did was to join the Society of Merlin Manufacturers and Traders. Uh, and they were having a commercial motor show at Earl's Court later that uh, summer. And uh, so I knocked up a demonstration in, on my kitchen table, uh, booked a stand and uh, showed it uh, at the commercial motor show. And it got a massive press coverage because it was something completely new. Of course. And uh, then I spent the next two or three years uh, responding to all the inquiries I had. I was very fortunate that the Health and Safety at Work Act had been passed in 1974, two years earlier. Uh, and um, so I majored on this in, in, in one man business marketing uh, by uh, saying to all inquiries, well, uh, the, the act is with us now. Uh, you're not covered with it unless you fit a reversing alarm. And by the grace of God, it caught on, uh, particularly with the public sector in the first case, the National Coal Board, local authorities, and any, anything to do with uh, uh, the public sector. They went for it first. Obviously, they wanted to be seen to be complying with the of, new legislation. Of course. So when would you start to say you started to see these on the vehicles on our streets? Sort of late 70s or did it was it very quickly uh, after after that act came in? It wasn't quick at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I hardly sold a, one single reversing alarm uh, for two years. The first company that, that decided to fit them across its fleet was Great Green Coaches of Stamford Hill. Nice. And jolly good luck to them. Uh, <laughs> and, um, well, the rest is history. What do you do now? What does, because uh, you, you're still in the same firm, what does Brigade Electronics do now? You're still in this kind of vehicle safety side of things, aren't you? Well, we, we say, when I'm asked that question, my reply is always, we're in the life-saving business. For that is what we are. And uh, it's, it's impossible to, to uh, calculate how many lives we've saved uh, as a result of this initiative. But uh, if we compare the numbers of fatalities on our roads and off our roads, um, uh, today, uh, with the number of those in 1976 when we started, mm -hmm. and adjust that pro rata with the uh, vehicle count, the vehicle park, as it's called, yes. uh, of all vehicles on our roads, which is at least four times greater than in 1976, uh, we, we have definitely made a huge impact. What do you think about the whole EV side, electric vehicles? I mean, they're great and they're, they're fun to drive, but they have that funny thing of being silent. When I've driven several of them, and it's the weirdest thing is when you get in them and there's no noise. And I've heard them coming around the corner and you just, you just don't hear them. You could just hear maybe they're a low whine or maybe the wheels. 
the EU wants now to have this safety legislation, so there's this uh, white noise. Now, I know you don't like the word noise, but that's what they're saying, so that people are alerted. Do you think this is a good idea? Uh, well, if, if I may uh, be so bold as, as to correct you, we never call it noise. Okay. Uh, we, we, we call it white sound. Noise, right. is, noise is a negative term and uh, implies something which is... Um, Nasty. <laughs> okay. And, uh, whereas the type of sound we are making these days, uh, namely the white sound, is actually very agreeable on the ear. However, that's just an aside. Um, now, uh, forgive me, what was your question? My question was that electric vehicles, they will probably be the future. More and more cars are becoming uh, electric vehicles and they're being manufactured. They have that problem that you can't hear them because we're so used to the combustion engine. Do you think this is a good idea to sort of retrofit sound to them? I think it's more than a good idea. I think it's an essential because we've already got uh, on our roads in the UK, let alone elsewhere in the world, uh, we've already got uh, coming up for 150,000 electric powered vehicles. And uh, these all are potential silent killers. As, 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 as bold as that, silent killers. I suppose they are, because we're just not used to them, are we? Well, we're not used to them, absolutely not at all. We're not used to, actually, we're not used to being able to uh, not to hear yes. a vehicle which is approaching us. That is a completely new experience. Do you think the funny thing is that this is a bit similar to what happened over, you know, 100 years ago, the transformation from horses to cars and you know we all seen the history books of people with flags walking in front of cars and people could hear horses on the cobbles and then they had to adjust is it just a case of the we will have to adjust maybe you know uh children 50 60 years from now they'll just be used to the silent car uh yes they'll very soon get used to uh to uh anything you can say and they'll start to tune in possibly to the to the whine of, of, a, of an electric engine yes uh, or electric motor I should call it uh, and uh, but uh, there are a major hazard and and uh, the whole world is recognizing it yes so in terms of safety the whole idea of you know some people say I don't know if you are aware of uh, electric Formula Formula One cars. They call it Formula E. I don't know if you've heard of this, but you know the the races that take place at present, and the cars have been fitted with sort of noise sort of makers because people miss the the sound of a a Formula One car. How do you think the technology will work for these uh, electric vehicles if we have to have this, as you call it, white noise? White sound. White sound. Yes. <laughs> um, well. Uh, what would you do? What would I do? Would they be beeping constantly? Or would there be some sort of low rumble? I'm trying to imagine. I'm, I'm trying to imagine it. No, but the, the, <laughs> what uh, we are recommending fitting, and uh, you may or may not know that uh, I have been working uh, for the last nine years on a United Nations committee, a working group, which okay. is international, completely international, uh, from all the countries in the world that make uh, motor vehicles, uh, developing or trying to agree 
the specification of the type of added sound that should be uh, incorporated on various different types of vehicle. So there'd be one sort of standard sound that everyone would know that's an electric vehicle. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Well, uh, the, the, the regulation, general technical regu regulation, which is still not quite finalised, but almost, is going to require white sound, uh, which mixed uh, with a small amount of tones, right. just give an added life to to the sound, and uh, and that is all, because the, the white sound is is very very pleasant to hear. It's like the sound of falling water. Okay. Uh, in fact, <laughs> that'll be interesting when you're coming around the corner. You can hear some raindrops coming. <laughs> well, not quite that. It, it's like actually um, the world's biggest source of white sound uh, is the ocean. Of course, yes. And uh, falling water, breaking waves. And that, that is a very pleasant sound. But uh, crucially, and very importantly, a major safety factor is that the source of that sound is instantly locatable. So if anybody hears a white sound, uh, they can instantly point accurately to the direction of that sound. And that's a huge safety factor. Can, can I ask you one final question, because we're sort of out, nearly out of time. Um, in a weird way, one of the attractions of electric vehicles is obviously their uh, you know, environmental footprint. They don't produce uh, sort of fumes, but you know, they're quieter. People like the fact that, oh, you won't hear those engine noises. W will it be an irony that we may have to return to sort of giving some sound uh, but you think they, that sound could be pleasant rather than the normal infernal noise of, of car engines we're used to? Yes, well, th that idea has been thought of <clears throat> and uh, is not a bad idea, but uh, with environmental considerations in mind, and some nations are in, um, incredibly sensitive about it. I can name two, for example, one the Germans and, and two the Japanese. Mm. hugely sensitive about about uh, environmental noise yes uh, and um, but uh, this is a slow speed warning that's required because over 20 miles an hour or so and yes. that speed is still the subject of, of, of debate in the working group um, you can hear the tires, can't you? Over 20 miles an hour or so, the tires, yes. the, the, the road noise, the tires on the road, uh, make sufficient sound on their own to provide an, an adequate uh, acoustic warning. So any, any sounders that, that uh, are fitted to a vehicle should, should cut out once the speed goes above that, uh, that 20 miles an hour or whatever is finally settled on. Excellent. Uh, listen, we're out of time, but Chris, can I just say thank you very much for, for uh, uh, coming up with the, uh, the idea, bringing it to market. Uh, we're all used to them now, and I'm, I'm sure you're absolutely right. You've saved a lot of people. Uh, one thing I find weird is the, is the voices they add to the, uh, the reverses these days, though. <laughs> well, we started them too. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. Thanks very much. Well, at least, at least they don't shout out too much. Uh, Chris Hansen abbott from uh, Brigade Electronics, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, too. Uh, really interesting chat I had earlier. And uh, an incredible man. Uh, I mean, you know, to see something in Tokyo, 
then bring it back five years to study in his own backyard. Uh, fantastic entrepreneur. And that company, uh, Brigade Electronics, check them out because they're doing loads. They, they, they're the ones behind things like the cameras that posh cars have. Well, apparently all cars have, but my car's really old. Let's not go about that. But, you know, to give you that view of what's happening, reversing cameras, and also now the 360 cameras that cars uh, like the Tesla use as well. So uh, excellent stuff from him. And it's very interesting because I do think that will be one big issue that we face with electric cars is how we make them safe for the pedestrian, as he said, under the speed of 20 miles per hour. All right, so I tried to ban him. We've tried many things this week. Is that a catch? Hello. <laughs> I have to say, well done to him because he was wearing something appalling earlier, weren't you? I know, I'm always dressed smart. Look at me. Really? Yep. Is, is your father watching? Can we just can we just point this out? Have you got that? Can you zoom in on that? Oh. A bit of marmite right. on my breast. What would your father say? <laughs> um, He'd not be happy, would you, Malcolm? Just it wouldn't be. It's a man who knows. He, he knows how to dress smart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Genetics. Right, uh, how have you been? Very well. Yes? Yes. I gave you a big shout last week because you were poncing about in Nice, weren't you? I was, yes. I've, uh, yeah, I've come back from France now. Couldn't stay away. No, I know that. I was just giving you a little bit of banter saying, oh, how was it? Oh, it was well, nice. I, oh, yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm irrelevant. No. Okay, tell me about the top story today, which is? Uh, it's about Empower's price hike. So Empower's the latest big six firm to increase uh, the cost of its energy. Yes. Uh, they've actually increased it by just over 5% if you take into account gas and electricity. Yeah. Uh, it's going to affect about a million households uh, and it's going to push the average bill up by about £64, I believe. OK, and how's that compared to the other of the big six? Uh, well, compared to the hikes, I don't actually have uh, on me how much the bills are, but the hikes, uh, British gas was about 5.5%, yeah. so that's a similar amount. Uh, and EDF was a hike of 2.7%, but I believe its prices were slightly higher in um, the first place. Do you know what the average would be? I think it would probably be about the same. Would it be about 1650 Income towards me a bit more. <laughs> Let's get cosy. Yes. There you go. Hey, how much, Pri? Okay, no, no, thirteen hundred. Yeah, I'm not really surprised at you. No, uh, well, they seem to kind of go around in circles, oh, one after the other, upping their prices. Uh, but they said this is because of new policies, uh, more regulations, and increased wholesale energy and costs. And the price cap. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Next one. Okay. The next one is about uh, your favourite topic. Our favourite place. Yeah, Weatherspoons. Well, no, um, I, I think that's a bit unfair. We like the John Bird. Yeah, we do like the John Bird. Which is not Weatherspoon Park. Well, you. Uh, but yeah, so Weatherspoons has teamed up with Veolia, if I've pronounced that correctly. One would uh, hope so. The waste management company. Yes. And basically it's employed Veolia uh, to conduct its new environmental scheme, uh, whereby it hopes to, by the end of 2018, uh, send no waste to landfill. Um, but it's starting by kind of tackling its food waste issue, because as you can imagine, Weatherspoons oh, yeah. creates quite a lot of food waste, because uh, lots of people go there for cheapish dinners. Uh, and yeah, they're going to turn this. Says the pons. Yeah, Veolia are going to turn Cheap this. Cheapish uh, dinners. Yeah. For some people, five quid's a lot of money, Jonathan. Ham and chips, two pounds, with it's a pint. With a pint, probably. <laughs> uh, and anyway, uh, they're going to use this food waste. There, there, there is food that you can buy at various places, and Weatherspoons does a very good job serving food at reasonable prices. 
as delicious. As do other pubs who serve food at more expensive prices. It's just part of it. It's delicious. You're editorialising, aren't you? As well. You're editorialising, aren't you? Um, this is all personal. It's all personal opinion. Cheapest meal. <laughs> oh yeah, because I just spend like forty quid like when I go out and buy a peanut burger. Anyway. Carry on. Yeah, I wouldn't go there. Right. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be seen dead in there. Uh, <laughs> Alex, he's just slating you. Well, when next time you guys go to the uh, the one in Muswell Hill, yeah. don't let him in. The Mossy Well, which is yeah. actually the first Wetherspoons in the country. No, it's not. It is. What do you mean? The first the first, it was the first Wetherspoons to be built in the country. Mossy Well, originally. Oh, the original Mossy Well, not yeah. this one here. Anyway. Okay, so, but, all joking aside... All joking aside, uh, I like I like this uh, new initiative they've done because they're trying to turn all the food waste they're trying to turn into electricity. Yeah, and that's a great uh, thing. That won't directly power Weatherspoons pubs, but it will be spread out to power lots of other things. Uh, but yeah, so apparently all their food waste each year will actually produce enough renewable power mm -hmm. to power thirty six thousand light bulbs constantly for a year, which is a lot of electricity. So. Excellent. Well done, Weatherspoons. Well done, Weatherspoons. Right, and then what if those two are laughing. Yeah. I know what's going on. Is there some weird my flow, bit? Then. Is there something going on? Oh yeah, he's holding it there. Right, hold it there. Stop <laughs> raising. You're getting a bit excited. Johnny's wavy hands. Yeah, I'm uh, excited. Shall I hold it for you? Oh. <laughs> that sounds really wrong, doesn't it? He's touching it. I mean it. the microphone. <laughs> look, look, I do this for pre. If I do it for pre, and we talked about sexism in the office today, didn't we, pre? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, You're a gentleman. I'm a gentleman. gentleman. Now, you've also got food on your mind again with your next story. Yeah, so this one's about Argentina. Hey. Um, and, well, it's not... OK, so I'll start again. This one's actually about the amount of emissions that eating meat produces compared to what a vegan diet, the amount of emissions that would produce. Uh, so this survey is basically ranked 130 countries uh, by the emissions intensity yeah. of the food that its inhabitants are okay. eating. Uh, Argentina fairly unsurprisingly topped the scale, uh, topped the chart, because lots of people there just constantly eat beef, which is really carbon intensive. Uh, so Argentina, actually, the average person produced 306 kil kilograms of carbon dioxide just from the food they're eating each year. So if you think about 306 kilograms of CO2, that takes up a lot of space. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, if you turned vegan in Argentina, you would actually only produce 8 kilograms of carbon dioxide, so you can make a massive change. I'm not going to say anything on that point. But I do believe it's a good thing, and I'm a big advocate of eating insects. I yep. think that's what we should do. More, much smaller carbon footprint. But yes, they do love a lot of their kind of bars and their mm. mars and their chickens. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. And in the UK, if you're interested, yes, the average on. person produces 172 kilograms of so carbon what dioxide. So what was the figure for Argentina? Uh, Argentinian meat eaters produce 306, 306. kilograms of carbon dioxide And each we produce year 172. Yeah, wow, we produce 172. God knows um, what the Americans produce. The Americans are somewhere in between those two. Well, I'm surprised. But yeah, the most interesting statistic, actually, that was on this, yes. in this story, in my opinion... Which diverted is, you, of course, because you do this, don't you? Yeah. In Bangladesh, yes. it's actually more, car, it's more environmentally friendly to eat meat than be a vegan. Yes, that would make sense. Yeah, which was interesting. All right. Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, please get in touch with us at stories at energylivenews.com if you have any inputs uh, or ideas for stories that we should go and report on. Because you um, don't have any of your own. No. Yeah, he does. He does. He's, 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 next I'm week's full of bright ideas. Next week we've got two people going to start 
doing a bit of journalism, it'll be interesting, won't it? Yeah, because you'll be the, gonna you'll be them. you're going to be the old hand now. Yeah, yeah, I can teach them everything. Pre's the general, and she's finally got a little El Capitan to go over the top now. <laughs> yeah, excellent, fantastic work, Jonathan. Thank you. Can you please wash your shirt next time? Is that all right? Don't take anything for granted. Uh, okay, so that's good. Lovely from Johnny. Don't forget stories at energylivenews.com. Now, uh, before we end, uh, you probably heard, you've seen it on our website, but we are delighted to say that Claire Perry, the energy minister, will be headlining Energy Live Expo, which is taking place on the 31st of October. Uh, Claire will be doing a headline speech. She'll be joining me on stage, taking questions. So you can register right now. Go to our events page. Look for Energy Live Expo. And if you just click the highlighted text, you can make your registration now. It is an event only open to energy, major energy users. So make sure you register and give us your question. And we will put it to the minister. While we're talking about dates, let's do the diary. So uh, that, as you can see, is towards the end of the year on the 31st of October. Before that, on June the 7th, we have Energy Live future taking place at the crystal and we have obviously telka which is our energy consultancy awards taking place on the 28th of june keep those all those dates in your diary 7th of june 28th of june and halloween okay uh it's nearly time to go uh any shout outs pre no, nothing not even from the corky corcoran is busy today after the weekend we had kev hey oh no anyway Last story, this and finally, is very good. It's very, in fact, it's very Johnny, don't we think? After what he said about Weatherspoons, this is very Johnny, isn't it? It really is. So Wimbledon, da, 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 da. Wimbledon has decided that they are going to ban straws, don't you know? No more straws this year. And we're going to have some EVs. Of course, they're Jaguar EVs to uh, ferry the uh, stars around. Uh, last year, though, 400,000 straws were used. Can you believe that? 400,000 straws. So uh, they'll be doing uh, that. They'll also be offering water refill points because flipping heck, I've been to Wimbledon once. It's so expensive to get anything. I think they charge you for the air when you walk in there. Uh, but it's a good thing. Let's knock, the, knock this because it's really popular. It's a big uh, name uh, sort of event. And I'm sure this will happen everywhere over this summer that we'll get rid of straws, which is no bad thing. Uh, that's it. We are back next week on Thursday. So it's Thursday at four o'clock because on the Friday, nearly all of us are going on our birthday <laughs> birthday trip. So we're going uh, speed boating. So God knows where. And then after that, next Thursday will be my last one for a while because God help us. Pre and Johnny will be doing short fuse for a couple of weeks. Oh, my God. So, tune in next Thursday, 4 o'clock. We shall see you then. Have a fantastic weekend. Adios.